Warning: Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we're getting a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we've been breaking down the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we're breaking down season one's lost footage. Now, let's get our fix. Well, we are technically at what is the last episode of Roni's season one, which is the lost footage. So the reunion aired, remember, on April 22nd, 2008. And then a month later, a little more than, on May 27th, 2008, Bravo aired the season one lost footage. And there was probably a variety of reasons why they decided to air the lost footage. There was, as Andy said during the reunion, a lot of interest in the show. And I must say, as I go back and watch the lost footage, which it's been a while since I've seen it, there's so much good stuff there that in a typical season, it would not end up on the cutting room floor. I really felt as I watched it, they could have made so much more between the Ramona-Jill rivalry, which they did make a big deal about, but they had some great footage of Jill being super icy, Ramona trying to apologize and being uncomfortable. They could have made so much more out of that. They had some great Bethany one-liners. There were great fights at the reunion, or at least extended versions of them that didn't play. And there's great snippets of Ramona being her usual rude self at Jill's party that didn't make it to air. It's great. It's stuff that they for sure could have used and built upon. But again, it's season one, so it hit the cutting room floor. And I noticed as I was going through the lost footage, there is a lot of Jill footage, which for me solidified what we were talking about in previous episodes that Jill was meant to be the connector, the centerpiece of the show. They were filming a lot of Jill and therefore had a lot of extra footage of her. And it also made sense why there was so much footage of the moms doing stuff with their kids, showing what kind of moms they were. Because again, the show was originally going to be styled as Manhattan Moms. So it would only make sense that the focus would be on the connection between the children. But of course, the interactions between the ladies became more interesting. And hence, we get Real Housewives of New York City. And because they're just pulling from footage or showing extra footage, extended versions of what we've already seen, the way in that they patch all of this together is they flash up titles for each segment that we're about to see. And it's a good way to give us some context and, and to patch it all together to have it make sense. All right, I say we just jump right into mentioning it all about the lost footage for season one, because it's really just too good not to jump right in. And I feel like it's time to mention it all. The lost footage opens up with a voiceover of Andy Cohen letting us know that we are opening up the Bravo Vault for season one's lost footage. And we open with Jill, of course, and she's throwing a party at her Hamptons home. This is clearly in the summer, early days of them shooting. And none of this party seemed to make it to air, actually. She's with her uh, college friend, Cheryl. And she is throwing a party at the house so all of her fabulous friends can come meet Cheryl, which again seems like another setup, just a reason to have a party. As they tell you, they're constantly meeting with producers, finding reasons to have a party or something to film. And of course, Jill, she's running around the kitchen. She's shouting orders, being her fabulous, obnoxious self. She's running around like a chicken with her head cut off. And she has apparently invited Ramona to the dinner. I couldn't help but wonder if... This is possibly why Jill was even more pissed about not being invited to Ramona's cooking party. Because this looks early on. Ramona's there. Mario's there. Avery's there. 
Even Bethany and Jason are there. Probably another reason why they didn't want to make it to air, because here's Jason showing up for Bethany, right? She wasn't the uh, alone damsel in distress. But I couldn't help but wonder if this is another piece of the puzzle as to why Jill and Ramona just got so fiery with each other, because Jill was trying to include Ramona and felt scorned. And there's nothing worse than a scorned Jill Zarin. So anyway, Ramona, Mario, and Avery show up. And in Ramona, in typical fashion, is apologizing for being late and making excuses as to why they're late. Same as the finale dinner. And as I said, Bethany and Jason are there. Bobby Zarin, of course, is there. He's in a fabulous white linen outfit, very Hamptons. And we see the party happening. They're getting ready for dinner. And we start to see this is classic. I mean, right from the beginning, Ramona has not changed. We see Ramona. She's starting in with the tables and the seating assignments. There are no seating assignments. There's no place card. She doesn't know where to sit. And she just starts making a big deal about it in typical Ramona fashion. You know, Jill, Jill. She's trying to yell at her across the room. Where are we supposed to sit? And she's looking at some of the other guests going, oh, my God, what are we supposed to do? Fine. I'm just going to grab. You know what? I love this table. I'm just going to grab it. It's fabulous. And she just it's like, oh, my God, Ramona. She hasn't changed. She was rude then. She's rude now. I can't believe they didn't make it to air. Again, I'm wondering if they were perhaps season one, they didn't realize Ramona being rude would be funny and something to watch. So they they were perhaps covering for her. Jason was there for Bethany. It doesn't, it goes against her narrative that she's struggling through her relationship and he works all the time and doesn't show up. But you see Ramona just kind of goes crazy and Jill, she's starting to notice it. She's rolling her eyes. And then we cut to Jill, one of her confessionals. And she's like, take a plate, get your food, sit down. It's not that big of a deal. I don't get it. I don't get it. So we get typical Ramona, typical Jill. And then we get typical Bethany, which is what we're living for at this moment. And Bethany is giving us her play-by-play and her opinion of the evening and the type of crowd that was there. And she's explaining, it's a different crowd and everybody wants attention. And then we cut to these 40 and 50-year-old rich Hamptonites out there The men are playing, you know, the bongo drums. The women are dancing in the living room with each other. Yes, definitely. Bethany hit the nail on the head. They are desperate for attention. It is an interesting crowd. I agree. (laughs) And we cut out with Bethany like it was some crew she had there. It was some crew. And then again, in typical Ramona fashion, we see her leaving. She's leaving first. She's got probably bigger and better things to do. We see her in her confessional. She says the party was nice, but she really wasn't stimulated enough. And then in Jill's confessional, she's saying, yeah, I guess she found me. She did say goodbye, but I think she was, you know, like the first to leave. And so we see Ramona and Mario and Avery leaving. Jill's walking them to the door and the scene ends. And I neglected to mention the title of that scene was Jill throws a party at her Hamptons home. (laughs) And next we're on to Luann. The title of this scene is The Count and Countess Play Tennis. And I actually found this to be a fascinating scene that was so telling in terms of who the Count was and his personality and behavior, how he treated Luann, their marriage. Again, we know that their marriage was crumbling at this point, but they're keeping up a a front, a united front that the marriage is good. But the Count just seems like such an entitled European aristocrat and really just comes off as a dick. And I wonder if perhaps the producers... Now, well, they'll probably throw people under the bus. We're covering for them because it's because it doesn't come off like he's lovey-dovey. Like we do. I mentioned that scene when they're at Victoria's polo, the not polo, when she's at the, the horse jumping. When Victoria's at the horse jumping, there's that scene where the Count seems to be really sweet with Luann. And knowing what we know now, it was it was nice to see and a bit shocking, actually. But then we go back and I see stuff like this and it's like, oh, yeah, that's probably really more like what their relationship was. So anyway, they're at their Hamptons home. It's beautiful. They have a beautiful tennis court. It does look like it's perfectly manicured. And in fact, I've he- I've heard Jill say outside of the show that Luann's house there and the tennis court there was always perfectly manicured. And so it's the Count and his friend against the Countess and her friend. And it's very competitive, you can tell. And we have Luann's confessional where she is saying the Count is definitely the most competitive of the family. And then there's a clip where they're hitting balls and it looks like one maybe goes flying at Luann and she looks over at the Count's like, are you trying to hurt me? And then they're ready to play the, the match and the Count in just a typical elitist attitude 
says some bullshit about, you know, they're not going to win. They're Whitman. They're, they talk too much or something like that. That's their problem. It's like, all right, well, we, we got you, Count. You're, you're the, the big bad man in the group that's going to win the, the tennis match. And we even see Luann in one of her confessionals say, I don't know what it is, but when we get on the tennis court, the Count feels the need to beat me. And then we launch into a series of clips, in my opinion, what really sh- that really show what an asshole the Count is, or at least can be. There are, Lu- there are several clips of Luann calling his tennis shots out. And he literally, like a child, throws a fit, starts talking down to her. No, it's not out and it's not for you to call. Real aggressive like. And you see Luann, she has to manage it. This this is what I noticed. She's managing it. So instead of saying, no, it's freaking out. Like you're, you're, you've lost your mind. I was right here. I saw it. She takes the, oh, well, I'm sorry. I thought it was out. Redo, you know, my bad. She's backing down. And again, I just think it's indicative of, of, a relationship problem and perhaps a personality problem on his part. And even Noel, their son, they cut to Noel and he says, Oh yeah, it's kind of funny. Sometimes if my dad misses a shot, you know, just by that much, he slams his racket in the ground and throws a fit. Noel's just, he's calling him out. He's saying exactly what we're seeing. And I did notice though, even when he says that he, he says his dad, when he misses a shot by only that much, it's like his dad, he knows he has to, coddle his dad almost, right? He can't say it was totally out. He has to be like, oh no, dad, it was just just barely out. So anyway, I found this scene fascinating about the Count and the Countess, but that wasn't her narrative. And the producers were covering in a in a rare occurrence here, were covering for Luana, I think, which is why it didn't make it to air. But again, were they covering for her? Because they do end up airing it in the lost footage. And then next we're back with Jill. And this segment was titled Jill's Birthday Gift. And in my opinion, Brad and his creepy behavior is the reason why this made it to the cutting room floor. But we open up, she's talking with Brad, her gay husband, if you remember. And they're talking about how they are going to get Bobby to buy the watch that she wants for her birthday present, which apparently she's been working for three months behind the scenes to get. And let's just let's just really quick talk about Brad's outfit. Brad is wearing a silk kind of Florida looking button down collared shirt. It's got like purples, yellows, blues. It's open with like a surfer dude type necklace. And then like an orange checked wannabe Chanel blazer over it. It's fucking hideous. And I'm just letting you know, he would never design my house if he showed up looking like that. So Jill brings up the present And Brad, in this just creepy way, he brings up, remember when we were in Paris and we went to that lingerie store and we got that fabulous lingerie for you? And I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was trying to throw her off because later Bobby does try to trick Jill with lingerie. But he's just so creepy about it. It's like, ugh, it's like with Simon. It's like, just, ew, stop. So she changes the subject. She's like, whatever. And she says, I want, I've already ordered the watch. I want you to take him to the store and zero in on the watch and get him to buy that one. He'll get him to do it. Brad's like, I can do it. But then, of course, he switches it back to the lingerie again. And Jill's finally like, are you sure you're gay? Like, why are you so obsessed, obsessed with tits now? I don't get it. And again, it was it could have been a cute scene about them manipulating Bobby to get the present, which is still a little set up, of course. But Brad just ugh, again, he ruins it. So then we cut to to Bobby and Jill. Bobby's taking Jill to dinner at Casa La Femme. It's harem themed. There's belly dancers. It was it was a bit kind of perverted. I don't know. It was a bit weird. So we see them having a great dinner. And then Bobby says he's got a present for her. He goes around the corner and brings back a bag, which Jill says she can tell by the bag. It's lingerie, which reminded me of her knowing it was lingerie by the bag that Lee gave to Bethany for her birthday at the racetrack. The holy inappropriateness moment. <laughs> Zoe see Jill. She's like, you have got to be kidding me. And Bobby's like, what? I This is what you wanted. I thought you'd love lingerie. Do we see Jill? Cut to Jill. This can't be it. Come on. Bobby's like, well, I don't want to disappoint you. He keeps saying, I don't want to disappoint you, which I think is a typical reaction to living with someone like Jill, whose mother is a total narcissist who will complain about everything. And some of that has come into Jill, of course. And one of her traits that she's picked up from her mom is she loves to find something wrong with everything. So you see Bobby very concerned about, I don't want to disappoint you. 
And then we cut to Jill telling a story in a confessional about why she is personally scarred for life about receiving lingerie for a birthday gift. And she says she was dating this guy and she was expecting some sort of jewelry, you know, not an engagement ring, but maybe a promise ring or something nice. And the guy told her he had gone shopping with his mom and he was really excited. And when she opened it, it was really sexy lingerie. And so she says she's scarred for life about receiving lingerie as a birthday gift. But we cut back to dinner. She says, I know you met well. They kiss. It's very sweet. The waiter brings out dessert. And of course, on one of the plates, there's the watch. And Jill very coyly says, oh, what's this? And Bobby says, give me a break. It's exactly what you've been planning for the last three months, which is a funny scene. I loved that scene, too. And then, of course, we get their infamous price flash up on the screen. And it says cost of designer watch, $53,960. It's a fucking hell of a watch. It's a very specific price, too. $53,960, to be exact. And then Jill says, oh, I get it. I get the watch. And then the lingerie comes later. You've been planning your thank you party, (laughs) which is also pretty funny. And then Bobby, is he's so sweet. He surprises her with one more thing. And she's like, what are you doing? And you hear him again say, well, I can't disappoint you. And he, she opens up another box and it's these beautiful earrings. And we once again get the infamous price flash. It says champagne and white diamond earrings, $6,500. Jill's wearing them. She says she's going to wear just the earrings and the lingerie for Bobby. And of course, then she's like, did you do this on your own? He's like, can't I get some credit? Come on. Of course I did. And then we cut to Jill's confessional and she talks about Bobby and I have this, the cat and mouse thing. You know, when, when I do good things, he rewards me. And when he does good things, I reward him. It's mutual. So we see them leaving the restaurant and we get the line from Jill. Watch what I'm going to do for you later. (laughs) So good. So then we're on to Alex and it's a hilarious juxtaposition from Jill getting this $53,000 watch plus earrings plus lingerie. Because this segment is Simon shopping for Alex's birthday present. And he's going to Fragments, which sadly closed in 2015, but it was a world or at least very famous in in the States, jeweler in New York City. And right when he walks in, it's like, here we go with the pretension. Uh, Simon, he just can't help himself. He walks in and says, hello, can you believe it's that time of year again or, or one of those times of years again? Of course, putting off the vibe like he's constantly shopping for her at at really expensive jewelry stores. And then we cut to Simon's confessional where he's saying, I have a really beautiful wife and I love to be able to buy her things that just bring out her beautiful assets. It's just like, oh God. So the jeweler is showing him jewels and I thought it was very strategic of him. And I think the jeweler picks up right away. He says, well, we've got white, we've got blue, we've got green. We don't need those. So I'm like, all right, so you're ruling out diamonds, emeralds, and sapphires. Got it. And so the jeweler kind of pivots and brings out just plain gold. They're just, they're kind of entwined circles, dangly earrings. They're pretty. And she's, this is why I think the jeweler knows because she's playing to him. And she says, oh, this would be a departure for her, letting him save face like he always is, you know, draping her in diamonds or something. I think I think the jeweler gets him right away. And then we cut to another Simon confessional where he's talking about how he knows Alex's taste very well. And over the eight years that they've been together, really, their tastes have molded. And it's like, oh, God. And then we're back to the jeweler. And you see as she's pulling out the, I'm sure, much less expensive, just plain gold earrings. And he's explaining to the jeweler, oh, well, Alex never used to wear much gold. She really wore platinum, of course, dropping a much more expensive metal, right? And then he says, but ever since she got this Louis Vuitton watch, she just needs gold to accessorize with it. It's just, ugh, it's puke me. It's He's covering so much for it. It's like, if he would have just walked in and been like, look, I've got like 2,000 bucks to spend. I don't have a lot of money, but we are going to be on film. Please put some stuff out. Let me know what you can do. They probably would have been more inclined to give him something at cost or something. Instead, of course, he tries to walk in like a freaking big shot. It's so repulsive. And then he doesn't even stop there because then when he's he's talking to the jeweler, he says, oh, yes. And then when I give them to her on the boat, because remember, he did the boat thing for her birthday. When I give them to her on the boat, she's going to love it. Like just constantly trying to act like he's spending so much money. And then we cut back to his confessional where he's talking about how Alex loves it when he shops for her. And then it ends with him saying, and what woman wouldn't love that? And he has this like creepy smile and like a wink. It's uh, it's so bad. 
And then to add insult to injury, they go back and show the clip of them on the boat after the birthday when it's just the two of them and he gives her the earrings. And he like shoves his tongue down her throat in this awkward kiss and just the whole thing gets creepier and creepier. And I was like, ugh, don't bring me back to that moment. So then we're on to the next scene and it's called Ramona and Mario Pillow Talk. And this is really just an an extended scene from what we've already seen when Ramona gets back from chaperoning Avery's first school dance. And we see Ramona getting home and she's walking into their master bedroom, which again, we don't see a whole lot of over the years on the show. And she's like, hi, honey. And it just, there's something about it that seemed very set up. Like they were like, okay, walk in and action. I don't know why it just, it struck me as a, as a setup scene. So we see Ramona get home and she's explaining, you know, it was loud and the music and it was two thirds girls. I think they're in, you know, they're in seventh grade or whatever it is. It was two thirds girls. She said she promised she wouldn't take any pictures, but she snuck a few that she wanted to show Mario. And she's just explaining to Mario, there wasn't a lot of girl and boy interaction. And then we see Ramona's confessional where she says, look, I was not talking to Avery's friends, but when I was handing out refreshments, some of them were saying, oh, hi, Mrs. Singer. So they were talking to me. I was not talking to them because remember, Avery gave her rules. It's pretty funny. And then Mario, of course, is like, did she meet any boys? And Ramona explains, no, she talked to the boys she already knows, but she said to not worry that she has a plan for the next dance or something funny like that. And then we see Ramona and Mario go into this. I'm so glad that we're together and we're married. We don't have to be out there going to a dance. And of course, Ramona's like, but I do love to dance. We can go out dancing. And Mario's like, but not tonight. And knowing what we know now, it does seem a little forced. I don't know if I picked up on it in the moment when I was watching it back then. But now I do see it does seem a little forced. And the show then cuts for commercial break. And when it comes back, it's Bethany's turn. And it's called Bethany Lunches with Her Ex. And Bethany's having lunch with her ex-fiance, Larry, which seems a bit weird because she even says in one of her confessionals that she doesn't keep up or keep in touch with Larry very often because he's married and has a kid. But she does say he's been in my life a long time. And I am wondering, I, I, I didn't understand the point of this scene when I was watching it. But when I went back and reflected on it, I was thinking, okay, the show was originally Manhattan Moms. Bethany isn't married, doesn't have any kids. And so this does help with the narrative of parent-child relationship to the forefront for Bethany again. But I just thought Bethany's so messy with her relationship. This is your ex-fiance. He's married. Don't be talking with him about it. You know, talk to a girlfriend or something. It just seemed like an odd choice. And that's perhaps why it also made the cutting room floor, in addition to the fact that they dropped the Manhattan mom's shtick and went with Real Housewives of New York City. But we see Bethany. She meets with Larry at a restaurant. They have a drink. When he sits down, she asks how he's doing. How How's married life? And he says, it's great. Basically, it's the opposite of my relationship with you. <laughs> that's where we're at. And then he's showing baby pictures of his daughter. And they're talking about how wonderful fatherhood is and how much he loves it. And of course, we get Bethany's confessional where she says all of this is making her think about where she's at in her life. And we see her tell Larry, all right, and they're talking about the, how the, the, the clock is a real thing that ticks for women. And he's like, well, you don't have to worry about it quite yet. And she says, OK, well, in two years, call me and tell me I need to start worrying. Be my alarm clock for me. And we see her in her confessionals talking about how the, the, the clock ticking biologically is a real thing for women. She hates to say it is, but it is. And that Larry's contentment is enviable, and she wants that with Jason, but she can't wait forever. And then we get to that clip that we've seen before where she says, we need to be moving forward with our relationship in the next six months to a year, or I'm not interested in being in this relationship. And that's the net-net. And what a foreshadow it was. And then we're on to what I thought was actually one of the longer scenes that was cut and left on the cutting room floor. And it's Luann, and it's entitled Luann's Family Visits the Statue of Liberty. And remember, the Count, his family, presented the Statue of Liberty on behalf of France to the United States. So we open at their townhouse. They're getting ready to go. Rosie's there. The Count's there. The kids are there. Luann's there. And uh, Luann and Rosie are talking about how it's going to be a history course for the kids. And the Count, of course, says... I get to be the history teacher for the day. No, no shock. He's going to take over. And then we see a clip of him, of him in the car telling the kids, can you imagine you're getting to go to the Statue of Liberty with the guy whose great, great grandfather presented it for the fr- from the French to the US? Because as you know, it's all about the count. 
But I do like, I did see the count asking the kids, do you know what it stands for? Which the fact that the kids didn't know this to me was shocking because we've gone the whole season talking about how all of these kids, short of Alex and Simon's, are getting a top-notch education for hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in New York City. And their kids who are between 10 and 14 years old do not know what the Statue of Liberty stands for. But I digress. So when he, he asked them, do you know what it stands for? And Noel says, maybe friendship. <laughs> but then Luan and the Count, to their credit, explain that this is because it stands for freedom, because in America, everyone is free. But then, of course, we see the Count saying, supposedly, right now it's... Right now, what is it? He says right now it's actually a debatable issue, which if you think about the time, he's clearly making an anti-Bush Republican comment. And he's talking about how we should be guaranteed the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. And perhaps that's why they cut it. They didn't want to get political. And then we cut to the family. They're on the boat or the ferry going over. And Luann is explaining in her confessional that Victoria, her daughter, was just having one of those days. She was a teenager and was being a bit of a brat. And I started thinking about, well, you know, if her parents' marriage is falling apart, her parents are both out and about, perhaps not being faithful with each other. There's maybe a lot of chaos in the home. Their dad isn't around a lot. And on top of that, they're filming for a show. So I can see why perhaps she would be acting out occasionally. But Luann is explaining she was just not excited to be there that day. And the Count, who calls Victoria peachy, He says something to Noel, like, you know, give Peachy some of that. It's a snack. And we see Victoria sarcastically say, oh, I don't eat in between meals. Clearly, this is something that the Count says to her. We see Luann say, you say that to her a bit later on. And as he turns away, Victoria kind of mutters under her breath, hypocrite. And Luann catches it. And you can see Luann almost trying to, like, get on the Count's good side, scolds her and says, don't you speak to your father like that. And the Count's like, what did you say? She's, he's like, I, she, Luann says, she called you a hypocrite. She's like, you are. You say, you tell me I can't eat in between meals. And Luann kind of explains it too. She's saying, you tell her you can't eat in between meals. And she said, you're a hypocrite. But the Count just, he doesn't blow up. I kind of expected him to, but he, he doesn't. So anyway, they get there. They're at the statue now and they're admiring it. It's amazing. It's large, much larger, I think, than the kids were expecting. And he explains that it had to come over in 22 separate containers on ships because it's so large. And so then he asks Noel again at the end, so what does it mean to you? And Noel, he's so sweet and cute. He says, it's what the U.S. stands for, which is freedom. It's such a great scene. And then we cut to Luann's confessional, and she's once again explaining how much Noel loves doing things together as a family. Again, in private, their family is falling apart. And it's so sad for him because you do see how much he loves that the four of them are together. And then he asks, he turns to Victoria and says, does it mean anything to you? And she's like, not really. It's just a statue. It's like, oh, God, typical teenager. God, it's like, oh, God. But of course, then Luann ends with, aren't you proud to be a De La Seps? And everyone says yes. And it was it really was a nice scene. I'm surprised that that got cut and didn't get put into the show. But it didn't. And so then we're back to Jill. And this one is entitled Jill Protests. Again, perhaps this got cut on the floor because it was political as well. But I'm really surprised because I I thought this was a great scene and and would have shown another side of Jill and would have been great to have aired and just would have been good. I mean, Andy Cohen as as a Jewish man himself, I'm surprised Bravo didn't want to air this. But Jill is going to a protest against the Iranian president Ahmadinejad, who was apparently invited as a guest speaker at Columbia University. You know, he's a terrorist. He is a Holocaust denier responsible for the murder of tons of people and was an invited guest at Columbia University. So she's with Brad, her gay husband, and another friend that I don't recognize. And they're headed to protest at the UN. So when they get there, it's a really beautiful moment. There's a a bunch of protesters. They're playing the Israeli national anthem. Jill is singing it. She cries. She gets very emotional. But of course, then there's this kind of hilarious thing as she's getting emotional. She's trying to find tissue, asking Brad for tissue. She can't find tissue. She finally just throws her sunglasses on. And then we cut to Jill. She's on the street and she's explaining. It's one of those, we don't see him very often anymore, but it's like an on the spot confessional. She's on the street where the protest is. And she's explaining that as a Jew, it's offensive. He denies the the Holocaust. She says, you know, our family lost people in the Holocaust. I don't have cousins because of the Holocaust. If they didn't die in the Holocaust, then show me where they are exactly. 
It's a really compelling scene and adds a little bit of flavor to Jill's life. But perhaps it wasn't housewives-ish enough. I don't know. But then we're on to Alex. They're playing that British royalty type music again in the, as the background. And this one's entitled Alex Takes Francois to Art School. And considering how Francois behaved at the finale, I cannot believe they didn't show this. Again, perhaps because they ditched the Manhattan Moms thing, they would rather focus on Simon and Alex because it does seem a bit mean to pick on small, like four-year-old children. But I don't know how you didn't show this because he's just, their child is so misbehaved. We see Alex, her confessional, she's talking about one of the great things about living in New York City is the amount of resources that you have to entertain and develop your kids. So we see them get to art art class. Francois, of course, is acting like a freaking maniac. He's acting like he's acting like a naughty kid. He's not listening and he's acting totally wild and crazy on top of it. And then there's this scene he's playing with a phone and he's screaming into the phone. I'm busy. And he really like aggressively hangs it up. And I'm like, what the hell is going on in that house? Like, how does Simon really behave in behind closed doors? I don't know. It just seemed a bit off. And then in in beautiful editing and production, we cut to Alex in a confessional saying, Francois is incredibly well behaved. And then we cut to him acting like a complete monster at the art school. She's She lives in total denial. I think this is how she gets through all of it. And then we cut to the teacher herself saying, well... You know, if I had 30 Francois in my classroom, yes, that would be incredibly challenging. And they show him he's screaming. Finally, Alex is holding him and kind of in the entryway, like in the, the waiting area, telling him he needs to calm down. He's screaming, I'm not gonna sit down. I'm never calming down. She's like, you need to calm down. I'm never calming down. Just like, oh my God. And then we cut to Alex, another confessional where she says, of course, Every mother thinks their kid is a genius, but if I had dreamt up my ideal kid, I could not have improved upon Francois. Again, excellent editing. And the show would have cut to commercial break at that point. And when it comes back, it's a Bethany Jill scene again. It's styled as Bethany and interesting. I noticed the opening clip, which normally is when they do their opening tagline, that same dress. It's a different dress. She's got this brown dress on and she's holding cookie. It was clearly shot the same day as the opening, the opening intro and tagline scene, but it was a costume change, which I don't think they do anymore. Just an interesting little thing I noticed. And this one was entitled, though, Bethany, Jill and Allie Cook and Dish. We open up. We're at Jill's condo on the Upper East Side and Bethany's arriving. Allie, Jill's daughter, answers the door. Jill or Bethany's brought over a bag of organic groceries. And the setup is they're going to, it's how to teach Allie to, you know, do some healthy recipes. She's come back from detox. And I said, again, it's another setup, but it's smart on Bethany's part. She's trying to be the, you know, she's trying to, she's the natural food chef. That's her shtick. She's trying to put that out there. Smart. So first she sits with Allie. She says, I want to know what went on there at the detox center. Of course, Jill yells from the back bedroom, I'll be right there. Bethany and Allie both roll their eyes. All right. They're kind of laughing. We see, we we cut to Jill's confessional. She's explaining it's it's important for Allie to stay to on the detox because otherwise, what was the point? And so we get back to Bethany. She's asking Allie what they did. She said she's heard about this detox center in Martha's Vineyard, but she's never been there. So she wants to know the, the details. And Allie says that basically there were, we juiced every day. We had soup for dinner. It was really, really tough. She says, it's like, no shit. No wonder why she lost 11 pounds. She wasn't eating anything. And then we cut to Bethany in in one of her confessionals. And and I love this because it's so relatable. She's saying you don't typically think of high school as a time that you're doing like detoxes and eating green salads and worrying about your weight like that. And so she's explaining to Allie, you have to live your life. So we're on to Bethany and, and, and Allie in the kitchen. She's teaching Allie how to cook. We see Jill yelling, you know, man's not going to want you if, if you don't know how to cook. <laughs> and then Bethany, it's so great. She comes back. She's like, actually, no, it seems like a prerequisite in this city that you have to not be able to cook. And she goes on explaining how women in this city love to say, I make reservations. I don't make food. And Jill's like, I cook a lot. And Allie's like, yeah, sure, mom. Sure, you cook a lot. And then Bethany says, really, just a souffle and a good blowjob is all you need to get a good man. (laughs) And we see Allie laugh and Jill laugh. It's pretty freaking funny. It's just classic Bethany. And then we see Jill. She's asking Bethany, where's Jason? 
Uh, she says he's working. He'll probably be working until about 8 or 8.30. And Jill says, I hear that you cook him dinner and bring it to the office. And Bethany's like, of course I do. I love him. And he works like a dog. And Beth, you know, Jill's like, you are going to make us all look bad. You have to stop doing this. And we see Jill's confessional also saying that she and Allie have not had the sex talk. Allie's not sexually active, so she really hasn't had to. But she knows it's coming. And then we see Jill. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe she gives the camera this stuff. We see Jill's confessional. She says, my advice to Allie is to marry somebody who loves you just a little bit more than you love them. That is a recipe for a great marriage. And then she calls herself Dr. Jill after that. It's like, oh, God, Jill. Oh. So anyway, then we're back to the to the little lunch. They sit down to eat. And of course, the fire alarm goes off, which seems to be a common event at Jill's condo. But they get back to the table. They cheers to Allie's health and to real friends, as Jill says to Bethany. And Bethany's like, thank you. So then we cut to another scene, which is entitled Just Another Hamptons Party. And we start with Jill and Bobby. They're arriving in the yellow Ferrari. Jill, we see, we hear her in her confessional explaining that this is one of her best friends, Carol. She's got a beautiful home in the Hamptons. And it's quite large, I will say, as they're scanning it. And Jill says, knowing Carol, this is going to be the party of the summer. So again, you can just, for timeline, this is the beginning of filming back in summer before they even came back to New York City. And then Luann arrives and she sees Jill and Bobby and we see Luann's confessional where she's explaining this is Carol Rome. She's actually, I believe, the former first lady of Florida and that she is a friend of Jill's and that Jill included Luann in the party. We see she introduces Luann to Brad. So you can see the women aren't, they have their own lives. They're not Every second of every day isn't spending with each other. So Luann is just meeting Brad for the first time. And then we see Luann. She's like, yeah, she calls Brad her gay husband. And I can totally see why. And I will say Luann looks really fabulous in this clip. Too bad for her it didn't air. She's got this wonderful maxi dress on kind of with a backless almost with this beautiful um, flower in her hair. She just looks like a goddess. And then we see Jill. She's explaining that Carol is her BFF. And Luann's like, what is a BFF? And Jill's like, a best friend forever. <laughs> Luann's like, this sounds like high school. It's a little swipe from Luann. And Luann asks if Ramona's coming. And Jill says yes. And we see them talking about how she's harmless. Ramona's harmless. And then Jill, of course, because she just now at this point has to start taking swipes, says, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're not really in the same circles anyway. So it's not a big deal. Dig. And then Ramona does arrive. And to give us some perspective, they flash up on the screen a little text box that says, this is the first time Jill has seen Ramona since finding out she wasn't invited to Ramona's cooking party. So now, so it, which also puts into context that little conversation we previously saw with Luann and, and Jill saying, oh, we're not really in the same circles anyway. She's harmless and really downplaying and, and talking shit about Ramona. It's mostly because Jill at this point is pissed. So Ramona finds Luann. They greet each other. Nice to meet you. You know, you hear Ramona say, I didn't know you were going to be here. And she's like, oh, Jill invited me. And Luann explains that once Ramona showed up, Jill flew to the other side of the party. And we see Jill. She wants nothing to do with Ramona. So we see Luann and Ramona and Mario. You know, should we get a drink? Mario's like, yes, we're going to need a drink for tonight. And we see Jill's confessional. She says she knew Carol chose to invite Ramona. But she says she was really mad at what she had done about the cooking party. And at Bobby Van, she asked Luann and she said, I didn't miss anything at the party. It sucked, of course. Another dig. And then she brings up again that Ramona lied to her. I don't really think Ramona lied to her. She said, you know, Luann said, where's Jill? She said, I don't know. Maybe she's in the city. She didn't tell her she's in the city. Anyway, I don't really think Ramona lied. But we see Luann and Ramona. They talk about the upcoming tennis match, which we see on the show. And Ramona explains that she didn't really have much interaction with Jill. And she explains to Luann that, oh, Jill called me the night of the cooking party. Luann's like, really? Which, of course, she knew. And she says, yeah, she called me and she was pissed and she's been icy ever since. And Luann's like, okay, well, she's here. Perhaps you guys can make up. And we see Ramona. She's like, I'm a little bit scared to talk to Jill, which I think is an honest moment because Jill is, let's face it, Jill can be a bitch. And I got to give it to Ramona. She also has a confessional that I don't think makes it into the season. She's wearing this like, it almost looks, it has a nautical vibe to it. It looks like a Hermes scarf with a gold chain uh, detail on it. And then there's a gold chain that's the actual strap that goes around her neck. And she's got these thick gold hoop earrings on. She looks fabulous. She's got minimal makeup, which 
in in these early days, especially, is a Ramona signature. She wears very little makeup and she looks very pretty. And so again, and then there's this scene, so we're back to the party, that I couldn't believe they didn't air. But we see Ramona. She gathers enough courage finally to come up and approach Jill and say hello. She is standing with Luann. Jill is. So I think Ramona felt a little safe. And she says something about, are you ready for tennis? They've got the upcoming tennis game that's about to happen in the Hamptons. And Jill kind of gives a snarky answer. And Ramona says out loud to the group, oh, no, that means she's going to kill my ass. She's trying. That's Ramona's way. She's trying to apologize and be nice. And Jill, in just the like mean girl high school attitude, she then tells the other friend who she's talking to, oh, come with me. I want to introduce you to someone. She kind of ices out Ramona, says goodbye with a fake smile and leaves. And she even leaves Luann standing there with Ramona. And it was just, it was very immature. And then we cut to, though, of course, she says, oh, but I did see Mario and I gave him the biggest hug and kiss. And we cut to Ramona, uh, Mario leaving and saying goodbye to Jill. And she's being very kind to Mario. She's like, you know, I just, I think uh, Mario is terrific. And I thought that is so catty. You cannot say, it just, it seems so purposeful. Be nice to the husband and then be shitty to the wife. It was like, Jill, I just, I didn't like that move. So then after Mario, as they're showing the clip of Mario saying goodbye and Jill's being super nice to Mario, Ramona comes up, gives Jill a kind of a quick kiss on the cheek and says, I'll see you at tennis. Jill says absolutely nothing and just kind of sits there with a fake smile on. It's so uncomfortable. And I can't believe they didn't air it. And then, of course, they cut to Jill's confessional and they end with Jill saying, and as for tennis, it's on. So then when they come back from the next commercial break, we're opening at the Russian Tea Room where they held the, the first ever reunion. And we hear Andy's voiceover and he's saying that the reunion was so dramatic that it was impossible to show it all. And I, it's so funny because now we have part two, part three of the reunion, but they only did one part. So they had to cut some things out. And I'm sure this is what started to get the thought of perhaps we should have more than one part of a reunion. And so this segment is entitled Unseen Moments from the Reunion Special. So clearly a month after they're airing the reunion, it seems like they finally have got it nailed down that they're going to be calling these these type of episodes the reunion. So we open, we see Andy and he's talking with Jill, asking her about her gay husband and saying, is this a rule in New York City that you've got to have like a gay husband? And she's like, no, but it sure is a luxury. And Andy's like, yeah, but what does he do for you? And Jill's explaining that they have a unique relationship because they also work together. He's a designer at Zarin Fabrics and that he's like one of her girlfriends. And then we get a great Bethany one-liner, which is something I know I was thinking. I guarantee the rest of you guys were thinking. And it's, I can't believe it didn't make it to air either. But Bethany says, I think it's actually problematic that you're taking style tips from a man in a pink felt hat. And we're like, yes, Bethany. And everyone does laugh. And even Jill herself says, yes, I'm a little bit concerned myself at this point. And then we transition to we get a Jill versus Ramona extended version. So this is the fight that we did see at the reunion, but it's the extended version of it. So it's not totally new footage, but I can't believe some of this didn't make it to air, to air either. So we see the part that we that was aired on the reunion where Ramona's saying, we love each other, and we, but we push each other's buttons. It's kind of love-hate. But they both actually end up saying, but you know, there is no hate in the beginning. So they're being nice to each other, which I like. And Jill's saying, I don't know, we get a rush out of getting mad, but we we really do like each other. There's a lot of love there. Ramona's a good girl. Jill starts off by being really nice. And we see that same footage of Bethany explaining that it is a bit more high school because Luann takes that dig like it's a bit high school. We see Bethany explaining that it is a bit more high school for them because they do run in some of the same circles. So there is some more a bit more competition with them. And then interesting, we see Bethany come when when Jill says the Ramona or the Ramina comment, which I did give Jill credit for. I totally forgot, but Bethany jumps in and says, no, you know, that was, that's my line. And, and Jill says, that's totally Bethany's line. I'm, I'm stealing it. So I've got to, I gave Jill credit for that, but Bethany, that's fucking hilarious. And so we really see Ramona really gets set off and rightfully so when Jill starts in with the, it wasn't because I was I wasn't invited. That's not why I was mad. It was because you lied. Ramona, it's the liar comment that sets her off. And again, as I said, I don't think Ramona actually did lie. And and this Ramona says, look, you just pretended to be nice to me and try to make nicey-nicey with me. But now you want to just call me a liar. That I don't, Now I feel like you're being insincere. And Andy says, Jill, you know, Ramona says you're being insincere. What do you think about that? And Ramona's like, there was no dishonesty, Jill. There was none. You can be mad that you weren't invited. I didn't invite you, but I didn't lie. 
And then we see Jill going on her be honest Ramona rant. Be honest, Ramona. And she's going on and on about honesty. And Ramona is like, but I didn't lie. Stop. What are you talking about? And it's really riling her up because I do feel like she's she's being, you know, gaslight. There's gaslighting going on. And I understand why she's upset. And she's like, look, Jill, I didn't know where you were. I said I didn't know where you were. I really don't give a shit about where you were. You're not the center of my universe. My world does not revolve around you. And of course, Jill's like, no, you felt trapped and caught. And she's like, no, I did not. And you see Ramona. She's like, this is crazy. I did not lie. I didn't feel this way. Like, what is like, stop, Jill. And Jill's like, yes, you did. You know what? You don't get the point. And that's what's sad. That's what Jill says. It's like, no, Jill. Ugh. And Ramona's look like, look, I, I didn't lie. Bottom line. And you're not the center of my universe, Jill. I don't know what more to say. And then Jill's like, well, look, I can tell by your body language that you're uncomfortable because Ramona starts to shift a little bit, which she does, I feel like, at every reunion anyway. She's like, look, I'm not uncomfortable. I just don't get you. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it, Jill. I don't get you, which I love because it's like flash to scary island. We're getting our first. I don't get it. I just don't get it from Ramona. And she's explaining that now she's angry right now. She's been pushed to the point and she's pissed. And we see Luann and she's like, let's just drop it. And everyone just kind of agrees to drop it. And they cut to commercial break. And when we return, we get the onslaught of Ramona versus Alex and Simon. So the first title comes up, Ramona versus Alex and Simon. So we cut to Girls Night Out. They're showing the beginnings of when Ramona started to freak out because Simon showed up. And then they cut to the reunion and Jill perfectly set them up. She says, as Ramona's trying to say, all I said was this. Jill says, they didn't even show the half of it. You were terrible. Boom. Cut to, it comes up and it says, Ramona versus Alex and Simon before they arrive. So we're showing Ramona. She's freaking out about how learning about him coming. They're not there yet. And it's interesting because even Bethany says, as Ramona's going, this is weird. Bethany chimes in and goes, yeah, it's creepy, right? It's creepy. And it's so interesting. But if you listen, you hear the camera is only showing Bethany and Ramona, but you hear Jill and, and Luann behind the camera saying, okay, what is your idea to torture him? So clearly they're already getting together, kind of making a plan. And then you hear Jill say, oh, he's never going to join us again. And Bethany says, oh, I don't think so. I think he loves this. So I thought that was really interesting because it's not totally Ramona's fault. They're riling her up a little bit. And then the next title comes up and it's called Ramona versus Alex and Simon in parentheses, continued verbal assault. And it shows Ramona just going on and on about why he had to come. And this is right after they arrive and she's asking Alex, why is he here? And she's just going on and on and on. And then finally, Bethany looks to Simon and says, do you want a a lychee martini? I don't know what's up with the lychee martinis. That must have been like the drink of the of the time in, in New York City. But Bethany sure is loving to make lychee martinis. And so she asks Simon if he wants one or then she looks at him and she's like, or do you just want a needle to like inject it up in your veins? Because Ramona, of course, is just not stopping. Again, hilarious, Bethany. One liner. And then they pop up the next title that says Ramona versus Alex and Simon in parentheses, and she can't stop, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So she's talking to Simon. Now it's just Ramona talking to Simon and Alex. And she's saying, and Simon says, look, I'm sorry to have shocked you, which I thought was actually really decent of Simon. And Ramona says, you know, you know what it is? You know, you know, Simon, look, you know what it is? And she says, so she goes on and on about how she left Mario at home and she would have brought Mario if she knew it was a couple's night. And of course, he's really cool about her going out. But, you know, she would have preferred him to be there for them to have been together. And and she starts to go on and on about how she was looking forward to getting to know in an intimate setting these five women and you came and you were really what's like the buzzkill. She calls him. You're like, look, you're like a buzzkill. You're the buzzkill, what I call the buzzkill. (laughs) So that's Ramona. So she calls him the buzzkill. And I've got to give her just a little bit of credit here. I know she's horrible and rude, but I've got to give her a little bit of credit because at this time of filming, which is why I love these seasons and why they're so epic, the women themselves still had lives outside of the show. So every episode is not the five women getting together or even two or three or four of the women getting together and doing something. It was them doing things in their own real life. And if you think about it, at this point in the show, the five women had never really gotten together and had a dinner and gotten to know each other. So this was going to be one of the first opportunities to do so. So taking that into consideration, it does make it a bunch, you know, a bit more jarring that Simon would show up in in light of those circumstances. 
So I do try to give Ramona a bit of credit that it is weird that Simon's coming and now even weirder if you put it into that context. So back to Ramona, she's explaining to them that she was just looking forward to getting to know them. And then he shows up and that he's the buzzkill. And she says, no one told me you were coming. Do you understand where I'm coming from? And it is it is funny, as Ramona's droning on and on about all of this, we do see a clip of Simon trying to nod his head, but he's kind of like closing his eyes like, someone help me. But again, Ramona's just going on and on, and they, they seem to have gotten to a decent place, perhaps. But then we know Ramona very jarringly afterwards gets up and leaves in the middle of the dinner, and or even I think before dinner, I'm not sure. So we know how that ends. And then the last one flashes up. It says, Simon is asked the burning question. And it opens up, we hear Andy, he's doing a voiceover about how after they finished taping the reunion, he realized he forgot to ask Simon the one question that everyone has wanted to know. So he says, we brought him back to the couch to ask the burning question. And they do show the clip of the cast all kind of getting their mics back on and coming back to set. So we see Andy then say, Simon, we got a pile of emails asking if you're gay. (laughs) And Simon's like, gay, really? And he goes on his little dissertation about how it's a sad indictment when a guy who's into fashion and those kind of things, you know, has to be dubbed as gay. And he says, I love sports. Cricket's my favorite. And Andy chimes in, look, I've got, he says he's got good gaydar and it does not ping for Simon. And I, I'm with you. I, I didn't ever get the, the gaydar either. It was just, he's weird and creepy. <laughs> and so Andy says, look, you seem to just, you love fashion, you love Speedos and you love Alex. Which Simon, of course, says yes, but then he's got to also say that they, you know, they get emails that we've renewed people's belief in marriage. Cut to Andy with a shoulder shrug shrug, and kind of a hilarious smirk. And then Simon, I will say, in a nice little self-deprecating way, ends up by saying, I'm 44 and I can still pull off Speedos just a little bit. Which I gotta like that at least he has a little bit of humility. And then as the credits start rolling, we end with clips of Luann having mic issues. It was really kind of interesting. She seemed a bit desperate for male attention, if you ask me, because she says, you hear the producer say, are you having technical difficulties? And she's like, my mic is falling down between my boobs. But she kind of pushes her boobs. She's got a low cut dress on. Mario standing right there in front of Mario. And then Mario says, well, would you like me to hold it for you? Which is hilarious. And they all laugh. It's a little awkward, but whatever. And then we end with, of course, Jill giving dating advice, saying, you can't be so easy. You got to reel them in, let them out, reel them in. Just like another Jillism. <laughs> and the episode ends. And that wraps up the lost footage for season one. Well, that almost does it for our breakdown of season one of Roni. So join us next week as we break down some of the extra bonus features of season one and do our first look forward at season two. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Deep Fix Podcast. And you can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other places where you find your podcasts. Until next week, we'll see y'all then.